truth matters, love truth. Where'd that come from? I'm trying to remember. Yeah, (laughs) that was uh, that was BC before COVID, I think. (laughs) It's not often that I get up to Excelsior. We, we, Laura and I, have been looking forward to this for quite a little while. Uh, While I'm here and in the home congregation, I would like to publicly apologize to Dallas Wilson. Anything on his reputation, any besmirchment that's been caused by me, I, I'm sorry for that, and, and uh, please don't hold it against Dallas. He's a fine man. I would like to echo uh, John Morris's sentiments. John? John uh, really had a nice introduction, I thought, in his class this morning. His appreciation for this meeting, a little bit of history on the meeting, I appreciated that. I believe if, if I'm, let's see, Steve Proudfit was here, I believe Steve, Steve, yeah, didn't your folks meet at that independence meeting, one of the first ones? I think that's what your dad told me. Dwayne and Mary, yeah, in one of my visits with Dwayne, I think he said that. So it'd be kind of interesting to know, how are you? Good to see you out and about. Serene had a a total knee. Can you do this? It'd be interesting to see, I think, uh, John uh, Lee, when he was up at the Vandalia meeting not too long ago, he asked how many couples, right? Remember that? Ladina was up there. How many couples uh, met because of that meeting? I think it'd be a long list of of couples that maybe met at the one or two week meeting or two weekend meeting or whatever. I don't know what we're calling it now. Um, But I will say that... uh, uh, I've, I've heard rumors, I've been a part of some conversations of possibility of, of hosting a, a meeting next year. That's not an announcement, it's just, you know, things that I've heard said in small circles. Uh, anyway, I, this meeting is very important to me. I, I appreciate um, being here and being a part of it. Let me tell you, I am, I am so thankful for the unity that's in the brotherhood. We have a lot to be thankful for, brethren. When we think about disagreeing and about being disagreeable, I mean, we, we just came through some pretty disagreeable times. Let's agree on that. Uh, COVID, I'm sure, challenged your congregation much like it challenged ours. Um, and I think we came through with relatively few scars at Smart Road. I hope that's true for most of you. But, but on a higher level, the, uh, the unity that I feel like whenever I go to Vandalia, when I go to Lawrence, when I go to different places, when I get to come here and sit and visit with so many wonderful people and, and in particular elderships, um, I always feel welcome. And it's not always been that way, has it? It's not always been that way. So I'm thankful for that. Uh, the last little bit of um, housekeeping I want to do is the elders gave me a lot of latitude, a lot of, and Sam. Sam's the one that called me, but... Um, I could pretty much do with this topic what, what I wanted to. And, and so if you find something offensive or find something you don't agree with, don't ring the elders up, please. Don't call them. Richard's got enough on his plate as it is. So call me. We can talk about it. Get me straightened out. I, I make mistakes, no question about that. Uh, so it's on me. Young people, while I have your attention, I do expect to kind of lose your... I, I don't usually stay behind this very well, but... Um, I want you to understand that truth does matter. 
Truth does matter. And we need to love truth. No matter what the world is doing, truth matters. And God's truth is what we're talking about, right? Terms like salvation, terms like marriage, family, love, God, freedom, faith, and truth. All are being redefined as we go along, right? As we're going along, the world is trying to redefine those. Don't buy into it. More importantly, be willing to discuss it. Have enough Bible knowledge, have enough, if you will, backbone to be willing to discuss it. And when that discussion, and that's our topic tonight, we'll jump a little bit, but, and when you discuss it, be careful not to go over the line and become disagreeable because that is a very unpleasant thing. Did you know disagreeable means to be a unpleasant, offensive, to cause disruption? And at that point, our minds changed. Our minds changed when we get to that point? I don't think so. When I was a little boy growing up at 59th and Kenwood, anybody 59th and Kenwood? Anybody? I know Rick did. Anybody else attend 59th and Kenwood? Richard? Uh, that's where I grew up. My granddad Long was an elder there. I learned a lot. 59th and Kenwood I hold in, in very high esteem in the years that I was there. Very special place, very special people. But I distinctly remember as a young boy, and I don't, my memory's probably not as good, I'm sure my memory's not as good as Rick's, but I do know that there was a time when there was a lot of distress and a lot of disagreement at Kenwood. And I do know at one point it actually came to one brother physically accosting another brother. Wow. Can it go that far? Should we have that kind of fervor? Well, maybe we ought to have that kind of fervor. But it, should it be shown in that way? And like I said before, have you convinced anybody of anything when you get to that point? No. No, you're not making any progress there. I like this hat. My daughter had this hat made for me, gave it to me on my last birthday. And uh, I think it's a good reminder of just how important the truth is. Keeps it on my mind. Philosophy Today, that's, now that's a magazine. Brother Charles probably is a regular reader of that. I am not. I just happened to run across an article that I thought was kind of interesting. Uh, apparently, this magazine monthly has a monthly topic that you can submit writings to and give your opinion of, of uh, you know, what the answer to the, to the question is for the month, and you can submit an essay. The topic a few months ago is, what is truth? That's got to be interesting, isn't it? Imagine a, a philosophy, a, a modern thinking magazine asking the question, what is truth? Well, they got a lot of answers. The one that bubbled to the top, according to the editor, says, after all, if true beliefs describe the world and the world changes, then truth must change too. Let me read that again. After all, if true beliefs describe the world and the world changes, then truth must change too. Relativists assert that we each construct our own truth, and skeptics conclude that there is no such thing as truth. 
And the article concludes they're both probably right. They're both probably right. The world is swimming in confusion. The world is swimming with people that think they're their own gods. They can construct their own truth. And they're lost. They're lost. And what's your job? What's my job? How do we fit into this thing? Well, the Savior tells us that we're supposed to be light. We're supposed to be salt. How do we do that? And let me ask you a more important question. Are you doing that? It's kind of like the, uh, the mother that sends her son off to college. Have you heard this one? It's pretty old, like me. The mother sends the son off to college. He's a new Christian, and, you know, he's working through some things. And so uh, he comes home on his first break, and mom says, well, how did being a Christian turn out at school? Were you, were you able to weather that? Did that go okay? He says, yeah, went fine. Didn't tell anybody. That's one approach. Didn't tell anybody. Truth is what I want it to be. I want to be my own God. That, that sounds convenient, doesn't it? Takes me back to Pilate. What was it that Pilate asked Jesus? What is truth? It's an age-old question, isn't it? And every generation thinks they've found something new, thinks they have some revelation, you know. I'm going to discover what truth is, or I'm going to define it myself, and I'll lead this generation. I love Paul's response in Romans, the third chapter, in the third verse. For what if some do not believe? What if some don't believe? What if some of these men don't believe in God? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? In other words, is God wrong? If so many people don't believe, is God wrong? Shouldn't the message change? What did Paul say there? What did he say? Yeah. Certainly not indeed. Let God be true and every man a liar. Let God be true. And every man a liar. We think an awful lot of ourselves as a human race. Um, mankind, I'm not sure, homo sapien, homo whatever that was. Uh, John's not here. No, that was, uh, who had that to yesterday? That was Mark, Mark. God's message to the world is exactly the same. Doesn't change. World changes a lot. And I disagree with the world. How about you? Have you ever wondered what it might be like for one of the apostles to come forward and spend time in our generation? And in some ways, I wonder if if they wouldn't think we might have it a little bit easier. We're able to assemble, right? Nobody's standing outside the door uh, watching for the police to show up, are they? Yeah, we've got some rough times. Society doesn't seem to be headed quite the direction that we'd like for it to be. Is this one nation under God, Cal? 
we can debate that one, can't we? I actually saw in the back of a police uh, car, I was telling Laura, in some little burg someplace in Missouri, I was passing through, and, it, and in the back of the car it said, in God we trust. I was kind of surprised. I thought that was kind of out of vogue. We don't trust in God anymore. In fact, we want to redefine who God is. I just wondered if one of the apostles would come forward today, how they deal with our situation as we have it today. Maybe they would encourage us to press on. I'm sure they would. What about Peter? What about Peter? What do we know about Peter? Man of action. Man of, I mean, when, when there was a question came up, who answered it first? Almost every time. It was Peter. Peter led the way. I love Peter. Just imagine Peter in our society today. You think he'd shirk to declare the whole gospel? No. He would be right out there. Do you know that Peter, uh, the Holy Spirit refers to Peter in the gospels over 90 times? Over 90 times Peter comes up. Peter this and Peter that. And Peter, Peter's quoted after one right after another. Ver, verbose, wonderful guy. You know, the closest apostle to that, according to my numbers, now, I may be wrong, is the apostle John, and he's noted about a fourth of the time that Peter's quoted. Lord, if it's you, command me to come out to you on the water. What a guy. They're all in the boat, aren't they? But it's Peter that comes up with that. Command me to come out. What do you think, Dylan? Would you say that? Would you say that? You saw Jesus out on the water? Well, Lord, can I come on out there with you? That's faith, isn't it? That's the kind of faith we need. Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. There was three of them there, weren't they? There were other apostles there, but it's Peter. He's got the idea. Let's build those tabernacles. Sound like a great idea. Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Once again, Peter, thinking like us, how long do I have to put up with that? Isn't there a point at which I don't have to forgive anymore? You ever thought that way? Oh, Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. I've thought that. I've thought that. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, right? Good job, Michael. No, Malachi. I knew it was pretty close to the end of the Old Testament. Lord, wash not only my feet, but my hands and my head. Peter, all in, right? Lord, who's the one that's going to betray you? How much did he love the Savior? And how worried was he about Jesus? Even if all were made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Peter's confidence. Even if I had to die with you today, I will not deny you. The man of action, right? All the soldiers show up. What's Peter do? Get that sword out. Man of action. There are some other quotes that I can identify a little bit more closely with Peter. Lord, see, we've left all to follow you. Therefore, what shall we have? 
hmm, since I follow you, what, Lord, what shall I have? That's a, that's a thought that goes across your mind sometimes. If you give up a whole bunch of stuff, Peter walked away from his business, right? What, what shall I have, Lord? But Lord, what about this man? You remember Peter asking that question? Who was he talking about? John, yeah. And what was going on there? Jesus told Peter how he was going to die, or gave him an idea anyway. Whoa, wait now. Wait, wait, Lord. Now, here's John leaning against your breast. What about him, Lord? Isn't he going to have some fantastic death or something? I am not the man. I am not the man. I don't know what you're saying. Peter, when? The denial. Yeah. One more. Turn with me to Matthew, the 16th chapter, if you would. Matthew 16 and 15. It's a passage that you're very familiar with. Spit and cotton. 16 and 15. He, Jesus, said to them, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Verse 16, Simon Peter, of course, steps forward, makes the statement, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever is bound on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever is loosed on earth shall be loosed in heaven. You tell me right here now, how's Peter feeling? How's he feeling? Oh, oh, he's got to be feeling great. He's got to be feeling wonderful. And what's Jesus said to him? Well, he heard the blessing. I think he understood the blessing pretty clearly. But there was something about a rock, something about building a church, and something about keys. You think Peter gathered all of that? You think Peter fully understood what Jesus was talking about? Speculation on my part, I agree. I'm not sure he got it all. I just, I'm just guessing from Peter's personality, the way he approached things, he was flying higher than a kite. That's wonderful to have your Savior say those things to you, isn't it? Wouldn't you love to hear something directly from the mouth of Jesus Christ? A blessing? That'd feel pretty good, I think. 16 and 22. Then Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. You know what he's talking about. You know what he's talking about. Again, I speculate a little bit, but I can see the love of Peter welling up inside of him. Jesus has just given him a blessing and said some other things that's going to take him a while to figure out, but it was all good. And Peter's feeling great. Could it be that Peter slipped his arm around the Lord's shoulder, maybe pulled him aside a little bit and said, not on my watch. Not on my watch. You're not going to die. 
I'll defend you with my life. No, Lord. No. That's not the way I want it to go. What were the apostles thinking? What were the apostles thinking? Earthly kingdom, probably, right? Probably still locked up in the earthly kingdom thing. And if Jesus dies, that's kind of out the window, isn't it? They had no idea of what was coming. And by the way, Satan didn't either. I don't think he could see the future. Protect him. This won't happen to you. Lord, I won't let it. I love you too much to watch that happen. You know, there's an interesting word in there. I hadn't seen this before, noticed it. But the word that the Holy Spirit uses is Peter rebuked him. Peter rebuked him. Now, the Greek on that, I'm no scholar, is to charge with a fault, to reprove, or to sincerely censure. Sometimes what I do is I'll go find the very same word and get it in another context, see if that helps me. Matthew, the eighth chapter. Jesus is in a boat. Storm's coming. Jesus arose. The, the apostles are scared to death, right? Got this big thunder booming thing happening, right? What Jesus do? He rebuked the storm. Now, do you think Jesus got up and said, hey, that's enough. That's enough. I tend to think it may have been a little bit more than that. We sing the song, Peace Be Still, but I, I wonder if Jesus wasn't a little loud. Maybe he had a little authority showing that he had the power over the storm. But that's the word rebuke there. Jesus rebuked the storm. In Matthew, the 17th chapter, Jesus is uh, dealing with a man who's, uh, whose son is a lunatic. And Jesus rebuked the devil that was in him, and the devil departed. Again, I think it may have been a little bit more than just, it's time for you to leave. That's the word that, that that's what Peter did, and that's the word the Holy Spirit chose. Essentially, was Jesus wrong? Well, we know that Peter didn't understand where we were going. But in the 23rd verse, this is the part that hurts. 16 and 23, right? But Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get thee behind me, Satan. Get thee behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. And you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. There's another place in the New Testament that I could find Jesus makes this statement. Get behind me, Satan. I don't know of another one, but I'm certain of one. Anybody? Where else did Jesus say, get thee behind me, Satan? I'm sorry? Matthew 4. What happened there? The temptations. Yeah, yeah. Jesus was in the wilderness. Satan was there. Satan was offering things. Right? And the devil said to Jesus, All this authority I will give to you and the glory. For this has been delivered to me, and I shall give it to whom I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, 
All of this will be yours. And Jesus answered him and said, Get thee behind me, Satan. That's pretty distressing company. A fellow that's just been glorified in a way. He's given accolades. He's been given keys. There's a rock thing going on there. And all of a sudden, Jesus turns to him and says, Get thee behind me, Satan. You know, in the 13th verse of, of Luke 4 there, it says, And when Satan had ended the temptation, he departed from him for a season. For a season. So was the wilderness the last place Satan tempted Jesus? No. I'm sure there are several places that aren't even recorded. But the table is set. The table is set. Jesus knows it. Satan knows it. Judas is coming. He's going to do his thing. He's going to kiss you. You know, I've got all these military people going to show up. I got the Sanhedrin ready to go. I've got all these Jews that are going to scream for your life. And they're going to call to release Barabbas. And Jesus, I'm going to arrange to crucify you. And so the deal that I had on the table back in the wilderness still stands. That's still available. What would you think about me calling the whole thing off? I'll make good on that promise that I made you in the wilderness. And you can just keep on living and you can be glorified here and you can worship me. And Peter had no idea, did he? Peter had no idea that was the role he was playing. I'm not saying uh, that Satan had entered Peter and caused that. I'm not saying that at all. But there was something in Peter's mind that said it was not good for Jesus to die. But when the, when the message was delivered, Jesus understood it was from Satan. Right? Continuation of the very same temptation that Satan had made three plus years ago. Jesus, I got some wonderful things in store for you. All you got to do is worship me and you get a get-out-of-jail card. And we can see the duress, can't we? In the, in the garden. In the garden, right? Sweat, drops of blood. Was Jesus understanding what was ahead of him? He was understanding. He knew it. He was clear on it. It wasn't going to be a picnic. But he was willing to do his father's will. Peter played a role there that I'm not sure he fully understood. But Jesus tells him what's wrong there, doesn't he? You're not mindful of the things of God. You're mindful of the things of men. You're not mindful of the things of God. You're mindful of the things of men. We go to 8.30, right? When I was a little boy, uh, we had a, remember the old black and white TV? Small one. 
we lived in town, Hunter Street Terrace, and uh, we had a little black and white TV there, and you actually had to get up and walk over to it to turn it on. Imagine that. And, and, and we had three channels. It was amazing. Three channels, four, five, and nine. That was it. And when you turn to a channel, you take that selector thing, and you go clunk, clunk, clunk. And then you had this another knob that went this way and that way, and the picture would fuzz in and out. How are we doing, Dallas? Yeah. <laughs> Been there, done that. May still have one in my basement. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm sure. We've, we've purged an awful lot of stuff. But during the week, Mom had trouble getting us up. That's just the way it was. You know, school wasn't all that great for me. And so I would kind of drag down, and she'd have breakfast ready. But on Saturday morning, uh-uh, <laughs> no, we were up at the crack of dawn, right? We got up, and we were downstairs, and we got to that TV because we had permission. Click that thing on, and I'm dialing it in, right? And we got the cartoons, and they're running. And it's Tom and Jerry. Anybody? Tom and Jerry? Tom and Jerry, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you remember the Tom and Jerry episode where the little angel poofs in on one side and the little devil poofs in on the other? Have you ever felt that way? Now, I'm not saying that Satan whispers in your ear and, and, and that an angel whispers in the other ear. But that, that's kind of similar to what Jesus is saying here. You got these two sources of input. You got this thing over here. Looks like Tom with horns. And then you got this thing over here. It looks like Tom with angel's wings floating on a cloud. And Tom's trying to decide what he's going to do with Jerry based on this input. I don't know. That, that kind of sounds familiar to me. James says, when we're tempted, and this was brought up today, I appreciated it. But every man, when he's tempted, he's drawn away by his own lusts and enticed. Peter had a different plan. Jesus said he was minding the things of man. The plan Peter had in mind was not of God. He rebuked his Savior. Paul tells us in Galatians, the fifth chapter there, 16th verse, that we're to walk in the Spirit. And you will not. If you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary one to another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Then 19 through 21, it gives us a pretty interesting list there, doesn't he? Now, the works of the flesh are evident, which is adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, right on down the line. Some of you can probably quote that. There's three words in there that I want to pull out, and they're pretty close. And my Greek isn't good enough, really, to differentiate greatly between them. But the first one in the New King James says contentions. King James says variance. Things of the flesh, things we get involved with, Things that we're weak about, things that we accept input on, is variance. Quarreling, wrangling, 
debate, or strife. Selfish ambition, King James Version is strife, faction, and contentiousness. Dissension, or seditions in the King James Version, disunion, and division. So when you have those conversations about those words that are so important, you got to check your source. You got to check your source. You got to ask the question, why am I about to say this? Why am I about to say this? Maybe you just want to prove you're right. I'll show this guy. I've got Bible knowledge. He doesn't have it. I'm just going to blow him right out of the water with the truth. Showing my superior Bible knowledge and my humility. Could it be pride? Could it be that you think you're always right? Could that motivate you to say something and maybe say it in the wrong frame of mind? Say it in the wrong context? Maybe it's the guy with the horns that's whispering in this ear that you're taking. Nobody heard that. Maybe we're always right. I want you to notice in the formula that the elders gave us, disagree is uh, greater than being disagreeable, that there's something missing in that formula. Silence. Silence. Speaking the truth in love does not include silence. Does it? So like the guy that goes off to college, as we have opportunity to have these conversations, to clarify a definition, to speak the truth in love, to tell somebody what the Bible says, silence is an option, I don't think. Did Jesus Christ die for you? Did he save you from eternal damnation? And you're not willing to say anything about that? Hmm. For the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Apparently, that is the position we're supposed to take when we're teaching about the gospel. Apparently, as the Spirit gives me utterance, my utterance is godly. Apparently, if the Spirit directs my thoughts as I allow Him to, and I use the word of God, and I speak the truth in love, I can stay away from those fleshly things that sometimes inspire me to say it, but say it in the wrong way. I suggest to you, when I was a kid, and those two guys out in front of 59th and Kenwood was having a problem, I don't want to be a judge, but I think it was fleshly motivated.
Romans 8 chapter, the 5th and 6th verse, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For we are carnally minded, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. You have, if you have the Jesus, if you if you've been saved, if you've been immersed into Christ, you have the gift of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is willing to help you with this process. Who established the church in in Acts? Who helped the church grow? Who oversees the growth and the work that goes on in the church today? I can tell you, if the Holy Spirit is not directing the, the work in your congregation, I'm not sure that your lamp stands in place. And if the Holy Spirit is not guiding your life and you're not reading and you're not understanding, you're not bringing this in and it doesn't get you excited about sharing it with others, uh, well, I don't know. That doesn't sound very good to me. At Smart Road, we've been trying to work on opening our mouths. All right? Not only being willing to say it, but to be willing to say it in a positive way, to get the message across that people will be convicted in their heart, not because of some angry word that you've said or some way you've alienated them by your approach, being disagreeable, but through love, concern for them. Isn't that the motivation? I'm worried for your soul. I love you. I've got a wonderful gift, and I'd like to tell you about it. When was the last time that you had a conversation with somebody that way? When was the last time you asked somebody for a Bible study? I don't stand in judgment of anybody. I, I'm, this lesson is for me. This lesson is for Randy. It makes me stop and look at my week and say, when I had an opportunity to define a term, when I had an opportunity to speak with somebody, what did I say? Did I allow the Spirit to kind of give me some help? I asked the elders if, if I could bring this up. I, it's, a, it's a tool that we're, we've been using at Smart Road for a while. We're, we're through, uh, I think the last count is about four cases of these. Uh, this is the Bible. This is the Bible. It's better than a tract. It's better than a thing with pictures that point different ways. It says it better than you can say it. Because the Holy Spirit has inspired this. It's a pretty handy tool. And what helps is if you can get it organized in such a way that somebody could actually pick it up, answer their questions... Maybe even without you being there. And there could be fruit. You know, that's the, that's the catch for me. I want to watch and see how this thing grows, right? Now, we're, we're, we're casting the seed, right? We're just the, we're just the guys that throw the seed. We don't always get to watch the fruit grow. We don't always get to see the harvest. And that's frustrating for us. It's frustrating for me. 
This is called a Star Bible, and it is a New King James. Anybody familiar with this? Star Bible? Some of you? Maybe. Why not? Why not? On the front of it, it says, What if the Lord were to come right now? Would you know for sure, nothing doubting, that you would go to heaven? How many people would answer that question? Yeah, probably. Probably. Well, and then it says, please turn to page number 362. One thing the Star Bible does is admit the fact that most of the United States couldn't tell you where John 3.16 is. They don't know. They don't know. I carpooled with a guy, very close friend of mine, not saying anything about any particular group. He was Catholic, and his family was Catholic. We'd had a, a VBS, and I'd invited his wife and three kids to come to our VBS. And they came. It was wonderful. They showed up, and it was great. And then we got this phone call after the first session, it was the mother. You don't know him, so I'm not attacking any personalities or anything here. She says, we've got a problem. The Bible we have does not have 316 pages in the book of John. She was serious. She didn't know. She was raised Catholic. That's how the kids were being raised. Great opportunity, isn't it, to teach? Great opportunity. This book assumes that you don't know where Hebrews is. And so what you do is you turn to page number 362, and then you find an underlined passage, and you read it. And that gives you a little answer to the first question. And then at the bottom of the page, it asks you another one. Well, what about this? What about that? Would you like to see what Jesus says about this? Now, in an approach like this, and the person wants to argue, who are they arguing with? Who? Yeah, Holy Spirit. If they're going to argue, isn't that the right direction to, to send them? They want to argue with you, your opinion, right? Your opinion and your opinion and your opinion. We've all got them. And if you get it to the opinion thing, right, they got an opinion too. So my opinion is just as good as yours. Takes us away from that. Takes us away from that. We don't need tracks. We need the Bible. And we need to get the Bible into their hands, and we need to get it in a way that they'll study it, read it. Sometime, you never know. Middle of the night, can't sleep. Hmm, been wondering about that question. I wonder if this thing answers that. What, we, what we've started doing the last uh, month is uh, on the second Sunday of every month now, we have study groups that get together on the afternoon, and what their job is is to devise their own plan of salvation from the scriptures. How would you do it? Where would you take them first? And then each group is just supposed to come up with their own series of page numbers. I go to this page, and then I go to that page, and I go to that page. And you know what? You can cut that out and slide it right in the front of this thing and glue it in there. And you can give it to them. 
Here, read that. Let me know if you want to sit down and talk about it. I love you enough. I want to try to make the Bible easier for you to understand. The other advantage is this does not have Deuteronomy in it. Not the best place to start. Hmm. I just ordered... Uh, I just ordered another Bible that I like, and it doesn't have this on the front. These are like six bucks. Give them away, right? Best use of six dollars around. These Bibles that I found was five, and the reason I wanted them is because I'm old. Look at this type. <laughs> Who can read that, right? And so, and so I've ordered some Bibles that have, I, I think this is like 2.3 point type or something. <laughs> Um, uh, these other Bibles have 10-point type for us older folks. But it's just the Bible. And then what we plan to do with that is we'll make our little insert, put it in the front. And maybe you could have one on baptism. Hmm. Would you like to know what the Bible says about baptism? In the very front of this book are 10 page numbers. And then on those page numbers, I've just highlighted that verse. Read it. See what you think. Let me know if you have any questions. We do need to disagree with the royal brethren. If we don't, I don't think our Savior is going to be very pleased with us. We need to be the light. We need to be the salt. We need to be willing to share. And we've got to stay away from disagreements because when you get there, you've lost the conversation. You've lost any possible fruit. But we do need to do something. Don't we? Who's it up to? I actually had a young man. <laughs> we were going around and visiting with some of our young couples. <laughs> and I had a young man. This is a neat hat, isn't it? I like that hat. I had this young man actually tell me in this meeting with, it was Gerald and I were together before Scott had joined us. That was a blessing. It's nice to have three. And he, uh, he told me that, Gerald and I, that we were causing him to sin. Okay, well, that's, that's an interesting opening, opening volley. How, tell me how that works. And he said, well, you don't have, you have not organized, you have not set up an outreach program that I can participate in. I want this outreach program that the eldership oversees and makes sure it happens, right? And you pick the place and you pick the time, and I want to come and be a part of that. Do you think there's any worldly influence there at all? You think he's been watching some other groups? Do you think the truth? Truth's in there someplace. But the truth is, we'll all be judged for what we do in the body, right? I suspect some of that has to do with our willingness to shout to the world that we're saved. To praise the Lord for what he's done for me. He's removed my sin. He's made me acceptable. I could come into his presence. Surely that's worth telling somebody about. And I think there's a way we can get it done without putting people off. And yes, I think we need to be doing it today. 
I don't care what's going on in the world. We had a young lady come and be a part of our congregation during COVID that had dated a guy that, that, uh, that had dated a guy in high school, if I can get this right. She had dated a guy in high school that belonged to the Church of Christ. And she, show, she so enjoyed his family. They had dinner together. They were kind to one another. They included her in everything. And she came from such a dysfunctional family. She wanted that. And she came and knocked on our door, got to visit with her. Can you help me get that? Let me introduce you to the guy that makes that happen. She's since got married, got a child, and our young couples have just sucked her in. It's a wonderful thing to watch. The Word of God is powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. Wield it, brethren. Wield it. Share the gospel with others. Do it in love. But we need to be talking about the truth. If you're outside of Christ tonight, you are condemned to hell. I got bad news for you. There'll be no negotiations. You won't be able to define your own truth. You won't be able to tell God that you didn't like the way he got things set up. And there's another way you'd rather go. And he needs to just allow that. He needs to be open-minded about this. Depart from me, I never knew you. Horrible words to hear. And I suspect those words echo through the mind throughout eternity. That's got to be part of hell. Maybe part of hell are all the opportunities that I had to accept the gospel and I turned it down. Maybe part of hell is just thinking about all the invitations that I listened to and I didn't respond to. All the people that was around me that wanted to help me find Jesus Christ, begin the walk, follow him through the watery grave of baptism. And I decided not to. There's room at the cross for you. Jesus can remove your sins. Begin your walk with him tonight. We beg you as we stand and sing.